Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp. With the harp and the sound of singing. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Um, I'll also do the same reading in Mandarin. You can follow along in English. Uh, Nimi 我们神的救恩全地都要向耶和华欢乐要发起大声欢呼歌颂要用请歌颂耶和华用琴和诗歌的声音歌颂他用好和脚声在大军耶和华面前欢呼愿海和其中所充满的澎湃世界和住在其间的也要发生。愿大水拍手，愿诸山在耶和华面前一同欢呼，因为他来要审判遍地。这是神和神耶和华的话。This is God's word. It is worth just noting that it's likely that today there will be more people hearing the Bible in Mandarin than in English around the world. Let me pray. Father God, as we look at your word, would your spirit who caused these words to be written open our eyes to see the truth of the gospel, that we might know the joy of being your people and being involved in your work. Amen. Okay, why get involved in, in world mission? That's what we're thinking about this morning. We're breaking our, our morning series where we've been looking at what it means to be a saint and a sinner, the truth that Christians are both uh, saved by Jesus, but also we continue to, to live sinful lives. That's why we confess our sins every Sunday. But 
this morning on World Focus Sunday, why be involved in global mission? Why, why go out and tell other people in other countries with their own gods and religions about Jesus? Why tell atheists who are happy without God about Jesus? Well, there are lots of reasons given in the Bible as to why we might do this. Uh, like Jesus tells us to do so. And he's God. It's the way things work. He tells us to do stuff and we do them. That's how the whole creature created dynamic works. That's the way it is. That should be enough. But the Bible gives us other reasons too. It also talks about the fear of judgment. It says one day all people will stand before God in judgment and says, you don't want people to face God unforgiven. So tell them about Jesus who saves. But here the motivation is different. In Psalm 98, the motivation is joy. The motivation is for our joy and their joy. Uh, there are three aims, as Andy said, about uh, to our World Focus Sunday. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will use this psalm to help us see the joy on offer for all of us in, in getting involved in each of the three. And firstly, we want to lift our eyes off ourselves today to what our sovereign, mighty Lord is doing, not just here in London, but across the globe. Secondly, we want to encourage one another at CCM to be more involved in in supporting our existing mission partners, people like Dave, as they seek to proclaim the gospel around the world. We want to be much more involved in their support. And thirdly, we do long that some of us who are sitting here this morning would in years to come be faces on that map that we saw. As the National Lottery puts it, it could be you. It's a 1 in 49 million chance of winning the lottery now that they've added an extra ball. I'm hoping there's a significantly higher likelihood that some of us who are sitting here today will hear the call and will go. After 89 psalms where uh, the focus has been more or less on Israel, we're diving into a psalm which is different. Uh, the psalms have really up to the, up to the end of book 3 of the psalms, Psalm 89, looked at uh, God's purposes through his anointed saviour king of Israel, who, who's a, a shadow, a type of, of Jesus who had come. But then in book 4 of the psalms, it's like we launch off like Tim Peake into space. And instead of just being focused on, on one nation, one narrow focus, we see God's rule of the world and God's purposes for all the nations. And this little group of psalms, uh, from Psalm 96 to, to Psalm 98, uh, to Psalm 100 really, are, they're full of delight and praise, not just for the God of Israel, but for the God of the nations, the God of the world. Now look at the way, there's a, there's a real uh, tightness of, of theme, it's a continual riffs on a similar theme throughout this little section. So look at the way uh, Psalms 96 and 98 start. Both start, sing to the Lord a new song. And they both finish in the same way as well. Look at uh, 96.13, he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. 98 verse 9, he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Uh, Psalm 97 and 99 then also match the first verses of 97 and 99. The Lord reigns, let the earth be glad. Then 99, the Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. And they both finish by praising God in the last line of the psalm for his holiness. Do you see the last line of 97? Praise him for his holy name. And then in 99, worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. And all of these themes sort of converge on Psalm 100, where there's a joyful, triumphant explosion of praise to the God of the nations. And each of the Psalms uh, makes a slightly different point, has a slightly different focus. 
And Psalm 98, the one we're looking at this morning, in particular, the reason it gives for praising the God who reigns over the nations is joy. It's a psalm about the exuberant, abundant, over-the-top joy that comes with knowing that this God, the God of the Bible, is the God over all and the God whose saving purposes are for everyone. There's just two points, really. Uh, you've got them on the sheet if you want to take notes. Uh, there's firstly, sing to the saviour of the world and then sing to the king over all people. So look with me at uh, Psalm 98, verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song. Well, that's rather awkward, isn't it? Matthew Bridges and Godfrey Thring wrote the first hymn we sung this morning in 1851. Hardly qualifies as new. But sing a new song doesn't mean don't sing old songs. In the Bible, singing a new song is about responding to God's salvation, to a new experience of salvation. So if you flick back to Psalm 40, let me just show you this briefly. Uh, Flick back to Psalm 40. Uh, a few pages before. I have no idea what page it'll be on in your Bible, um, but it's not that much further back. So Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, verse 1. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. A new song is we experience salvation and we sing to God afresh. It means I sing to him anew because I've had a new experience of God's goodness. You'll see the same if you if you wanted to chase it up afterwards, Psalm 144, verses 7 to 9. Or Psalm 149, verses 1 to 4. Or Isaiah 42, 10. Or Revelation 5, 9. Or Revelation 14, 3. When we see God do amazing things, when we experience God do amazing things, we want to sing to him anew. So when you're first saved by Jesus, when first you know your guilt taken away, or when years later, um, like we so often do, you fall back into sinful patterns, and then God graciously drags you back to safety. Or when you've been in physical or financial danger, or when health or relationships have been just a total mess. And, and after years of struggle, God, well, God answers those prayers and rescues you. Then we want to sing to him anew. There is a freshness, a newness to our experience of singing every time there's a freshness or a newness to our experience of his salvation. And don't forget that when we do sing praises to God as the Bible commands, and particularly uh, not just when we speak about how good God is, when we sing about it with one another, it deepens our joy. Expressing our praise enriches it and deepens it. So we sing praises to God because we enjoy him. That's why Christians do it. If you're here wondering, why on earth do Christians sing? We do it because we enjoy God, because he is enjoyable. We also sing praise because it makes us enjoy him more when we express it. Now the focus of the the new song here is set out in verse 1 and explained in verses 2 to 3. It's about God's salvation coming to the world. It's not just about any good thing God does. Here, and almost always in the Bible, the the new song is sung to express praise for God's salvation. Uh, Look with me again at 1 to 3 of Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. 
The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. God does many good things. In fact, every good thing that you and I enjoy comes from God. But the greatest thing he does, the thing that stirs his people most to praise him, is salvation. Verse 2, he worked salvation for us. What does that mean? Well, for an Israelite, hearing those words, it meant you, you look back to God's great act of salvation. So Israel was a slave nation in Egypt, suffering under Pharaoh, who had the power of life and death, and was using it to bring death to the Israelites. But God smashed Pharaoh's chains with the plagues and brought the Israelites out safely. He split the Red Sea so that they might be saved. They might have life and go to his paradise kingdom. As Christians, we look back to the thing that the Exodus actually looks forward to, which is Jesus' death on the cross. Because all of us humans are slaves to sin. That is to say, we're, we're slaves to our selfish desires that are so often, we, we can't change, we can't break. And we live under the shadow of death. We have no way to reach up to God and his eternal life. But God came down in the person of Jesus and smashed the chains. In his mighty power, he hung and died on a cross and broke the power of sin. And then he rose again to give us the new life we couldn't get to so that we might live forever in God's paradise kingdom. Now, we often talk about the the need for me to respond to the gospel, uh, for me to examine the evidence for Jesus, for me to, to put my trust in Jesus. And that is true. And that's why we run it on as questions, to enable people to, to ask their questions, to think about whether I want to put my trust in Jesus. But that is only one strand of the Bible's truth. And the Bible makes it very clear that salvation is primarily something that God does. He does it, it's the work of his right hand and his mighty arm, verse 1, not things I know much about. Um, but God is a God who is mighty. And it's not just that God opens the door and sees who fancies walking through. No, God is a God who comes out into the world and plucks us out of danger and rescues us and carries us safely home. But the emphasis in verses 1 to 3, the thing that really gets us singing, is not so much the depth of God's work that he fully saves people. It's the breadth that his salvation is for all people. Look, verse 2, he has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He's remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. God made promises to, to bless the Jewish people in the Old Testament. That's what it talks about when it says his faithfulness to the house of Israel. In fact, The foundational promises, really, of the Old Testament are the promises God makes to Abraham in Genesis 12. And the last of those promises is this, Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In other words, God's faithfulness to his promises to one people, the Israelites, means salvation for people like you and me sat here this morning. And at this point, you realize that the Psalms are not just uh, 
praise, songs to sing, and prayers that God's people have offered God. They're also prophecy. The Psalms are also prophecy because I can't think of a single thing that happens in the Old Testament that matches Psalm 98 verses 1 to 3. I've read through the Old Testament. I can't think of any incident in the whole Old Testament that would prompt someone to write this. Whether, where God's salvation is seen by the whole world. It, just, it doesn't happen. But this psalm isn't just describing what has already happened. It's pointing forward to something that will happen. It looks forward to the, the central moment in history when the Jewish man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of Israel, would hang on a cross for the sins of the world. And when he rose again, he would send his Holy Spirit to empower the disciples to proclaim the gospel, to reveal the salvation to the world. What's the first thing that um, the Holy Spirit does when God sends his Spirit onto the apostles? Enables them to speak a whole load of different languages. It's God sort of saying, hello, this is not just for Israelites, it's for everybody. Big hint, you're speaking different languages. They won't understand you if you stay here. Go to where they will understand you, to everybody. God's salvation is for the world. Now, I guess if you only know about Christianity from the media or from what we experience in this country, these verses seem pretty odd. These verses looking at this expansion, this growth of the kingdom of God. Because frankly, Christianity looks like it's dying out fast. Statistically, in 1980, 5,201,300 Brits would be in church on a Sunday. That's 11.1% of the population. In 2015, that was 3,081,500, just 5% of the population. In the Church of England, in 2013, Sunday attendance, forget what people put on a, on a survey form about whether they're Christian or not, Sunday attendance, 785,000, which is half of what the number was in 1968. But that's only part of the story. You see, even within the UK, while some bits of the church are dying fast, other parts, the parts actually by and large that faithfully proclaim the uncomfortably old-fashioned Bible, are growing. And the picture in the rest of the world is far from one of decline. Uh, I guess many of us will know the, um, the statistic from the Mandarin world that there are now more Christians in China than there are members of the Communist Party. But what about the Muslim world? Well, history is very interesting here. For the first thousand years after Islam was established in the mid-600s, there was barely any conversions to Christianity. In fact, at the start of the 1800s, there wasn't a single established movement. An established movement means about a thousand Christian converts or a hundred churches within any of the Muslim communities around the world. There were no established movements at that point. At the end of the 19th century, at the end of the 1800s, the great missionary century, there were two established movements with at least a 1,000 converts or a 100 churches in Ethiopia and in Indonesia, just two. But the waters did start to stir in the 1980s and 90s. And by the end of the 20th century, there were a total of 13 movements. And in just the first 12 years of this century, there have been another 69 established movements of at least a 1,000 converts or 100 churches across the Muslim world. After centuries of stubborn darkness, between 2 and 7 million Muslims have turned to put their trust in Christ in just the last 15 years. 
That's still less than half a percent of the global Muslim population. But as uh, the, the writer of a great new book puts it, it is a sign that the wind of the Holy Spirit has started to blow through the house of Islam. Do you know where the fastest growing church in the world is? I mean, it's hard to find accurate statistics in countries where you get imprisoned for putting your trust in Jesus. But it's not China or Nigeria. It's most definitely not in London. It is in Iran where the church is growing, they think, at around 19.5% a year. That's quite a rate of return. And that's, that is not Christians moving to Tehran and saying, I'm looking for a church. It doesn't happen a whole lot that, you know, Western Christians move to Tehran and, you know, we're, well, we're looking for a church. This is, this is Iranians risking life and freedom to find eternal security in Jesus Christ. These verses tell us that God's global salvation is causing God's people to sing new songs. And that's happening today around the world. You know, we're, uh, we're very blessed at CCM with some wonderfully talented musicians and songwriters. It was great to, to um, have them release an album last year. It's fantastic. What do we do if we want the next album to be even better? Actually, the first thing we do is not send Ben back to the recording studio. It's actually to send lots of us onto the mission field. You see, when we as a church get more and more involved in what God's doing on the front lines, as we as a church see the amazing stories of how God's people willingly go and suffer and die for the sake of the gospel, of how God saves people from the most unlikely backgrounds, we will be prompted to write amazing songs of praise to the God whose salvation we're seeing and experiencing and enjoying. Which is why the greatest songs in church history tend to come from revivals. So Ben, get out on the mission field and then come back and write another album. Actually, no, stay. Uh, But we'll get lots of other people to go and then tell you what's happening and you can write some more songs. So firstly, sing to the Savior. Secondly, sing to the King over all people, verses 4 to 9. There are three little sections in this second half. uh, 4 to 6 on people praising God. 7 to 8 on creation praising God. And then verse 9 on why they praise Verses 4 to 6. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp. With the harp and the sound of singing. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. This is wild and spontaneous and very un-British. This is not singing. This is a shout. This is, this is at a sports stadium when your team scores. If you're Scottish, you won't know what I'm talking about. But this is... Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist it, but there we go. This is what happens when you win, and you just can't help yourself, and it explodes. And then the musicians join in, in, in five and six, and it, this is the sort of party that gets complaints from the neighbours. ACDC performed a gig in Auckland last year. The music was so loud that the complaints were being phoned in from five miles away. Uh, the alarms on the cars, in almost every car alarm in the car park were set off by the reverberations, I kid you not. Dave, we're not going to try and recreate that from the sound desk this morning in the last song. But the point is not that you have to sing loudly. The point is that salvation is so good. And the thing these verses point towards is going to be so good. We won't be able to help ourselves, but explode with praise of God. It's a hint uh, of what is to come. Uh, there's, n- there's nothing actually in the particular instruments listed here. Uh, you know, it's all right to use a guitar and drums. Uh, actually, one of the one of the um, the instruments though is significant, and that's the last one, the ram's horn. 
See, in Exodus 19.13, as the nation of Israel, rescued from Egypt, gathered at Mount Sinai, it was the ram's horn blast that announced that God had come down to be with his people. A hint of what it is in verse 9 that causes this shout of praise. But it's not just the people who praise the Savior. Um, Verse 7, let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord. Now, it doesn't pay to get over literal with verses like this. They're poetry after all. But the point being made is that praise isn't something that we're just told to do. It's something we're designed to do. Everything that bears the maker's mark is designed for the maker's praise. Every atom in the universe was designed to vibrate to the glory of God. Romans eight nineteen to 22 talks of all creation groaning and waiting for release from the, the rule of sin that brings death and decay to this world. And this psalm describes the day when Jesus comes and sets creation free. And it just explodes with praise. And it all builds to, it all focuses on verse 9. This is what causes people to shout for joy. This is what causes the rivers to to sing and the trees to shout. It is the coming of God's King. Let them sing before the Lord, verse 9, for he comes to judge the earth. He will come and judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. That word judge means something far, far, far more than just give decisions in court. It means to rule, to to look after, to make the decisions necessary for a people to be well governed. And our world, it must be said, is crying out for a, a judge, a good ruler. You know, when Donald Trump has got a chance of being elected president of the world's most powerful nation and Kim Jong-un is sending missiles into the sky... You cry out for a king like Jesus, who is perfectly wise and who will use his mighty power to humbly serve others. When Islamic State is still ruling over large tracts of Syria, Iraq and Lebanon, can you imagine the joy for an oppressed people when King Jesus arrives and brings healing and peace and justice? When our own politicians often seem brilliantly skilled at playing the point-scoring game and political posturing, but clueless when it comes to a compassionate and realistic response to the refugee crisis and the issues of immigration and integration. When you look around and see that, then whether you're a Christian or not, you long for what's promised here, the the rule of a wise and just and loving king who has the power to bring an end to evil and suffering. And that is what Jesus is. He's a king who died on a cross to save us. A king who is humble enough to come to serve us. And yet he's powerful enough to triumph over death. He is the king we need. And here's the thing that this psalm points to. That Jesus will return to rule is not in doubt. He rose from the dead. You can trust what he says. The only question is, when he comes, will I meet him as a rebel against the conquering king? Or as a saved subject, rejoicing to meet my saviour. Will we meet him as people who joined with him and enjoyed him in his mission of salvation to the world? Or as people who have been saved ourselves and got on with their own little lives? See, the aim of world missions is very simple indeed. It's to prepare the peoples of the world 
for the coming of King Jesus and to give us all great joy as we do so. Look, how might we get involved? Uh, I guess three ways. Give, pray, go. Uh, We'll give money to the work of missions if we get the joy that's on offer. As a church, we give away a percentage of our budget every year to world missions, and we would love to give more. We'll pray. Uh, Take away that missions booklet. Uh, Don't let it gather dust. Uh, Whether you pray for all the partners or just focus on, on one or two, when we get involved and committed to praying for missions, we share in the joy of what is going on and we're involved in the real work ourselves. Give, pray, go. You and I are called to share the gospel, to make disciples. And we can all start by going across the office, the corridor or the street to talk to those around us about Jesus. But some of us will want to cross oceans and cultures to take the gospel to those who don't live in cities full of churches that teach the Bible openly and faithfully. Actually, uh, as soon as this sermon's finished, we're going to see a very short uh, one-minute video about an opportunity for us to pray for and get involved in. It's an opportunity for international missions work where you can reach people from closed countries where you could get imprisoned for talking to people about Jesus, but you can do so with no danger, without any need to learn a new language or apply for a visa or to leave family and friends. It's the international cafe that we run here every Friday. And it's interesting, too, I was talking last night to somebody who started helping this term and said they were almost in tears of joy as they left cafe last night. It was so exciting, on Friday night, it was so exciting what they'd seen and the conversations they'd had. Why get involved in world missions? Loads of reasons. Psalm 98, because of joy. Because there is a joy on offer for you and for me and for the peoples of the world. There is a joy in the gospel because the unending, eternal, exuberant joy of the universe in the worldwide proclamation of the salvation that Jesus will bring. I was reading uh, testimonies from across the the Muslim world this week. There was uh, one from uh, an Arab nation. As a lady talked about uh, just dissatisfaction with life and being given a new testament, and she writes this, her name's Nadia. As I read it, I felt my heart open like an old door and I understood every verse with all my being. I set the Quran aside. Inside I felt warm and very thirsty. It was like drinking cool water and I wanted to drink it all. From that time on, Jesus' work started inside me. It was a strange happiness like nothing I'd ever known. I was like the Samaritan woman telling everyone about Jesus. Within a week, my husband and three children came to faith in Christ. The joy that she has is a joy that others should share. So let's make the gospel available to them all. But it's not just their joy. You see, in heaven, we'll praise God forever, not just for what he's done in my life, but we'll spend eternity praising him for what he has done in the lives of others too. And the more involved you and I are now in this life, in what God is doing in other places, the more joy we'll have in this life as we see what God is up to and the more joy we'll have for all eternity as we share in the praises of those who have been saved. Church Today in the West talks a lot about worship and praise. If you want to be joyful, if you want to be a people of praise, then get involved in mission. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. So sing to the Lord a new song. 
Our Father God, we thank you that your gospel is going out around the world. We thank you that it offers salvation not just for those of us who are sat here this morning, but for people from every culture and every language. So we pray that you would grant us the joy of finding salvation ourselves, but you would also grant us the joy of being involved in your salvation going out to the nations. Father, help us to be willing to count the cost to do so, that we might share in the joy for all eternity. Amen.